From Washington, this is the HPS Macrocast with Hamilton Place Strategies and Markets Policy Partners. Good morning. It's Friday, May 29th, 2020, and this is the Macrocast. I'm Tony Prado in New York City. John Fagan and Brendan Walsh from uh, Markets Policy Partners are in Washington, D.C. And we have a lot to talk about today, including what the stock market's been doing. Uh, we've got reopening of the economy and the staggered way that's rolling out and the implications and consequences of it. Uh, you know, EU uh, programs uh, that, are, that are innovative and uh, hopefully will have an impact in, uh, in Europe. May even get into some Twitter wars, <laughs> the current Twitter wars, which are uh, just uh, ongoing as we as we sit here live on Twitter as we speak. Uh, but first, we have to talk about China. Uh, back to Chinese tensions uh, throughout this administration, it's been a roller coaster ride. Uh, we've had tariffs, and we've had a trade deal, and we've had accusations over uh, how China has dealt with uh, coronavirus. We've had tension over Hong Kong that has risen and fallen and, you know, uh, simmering. And now it looks like, um, you know, China is taking advantage of, uh, you know, where things are in the United States, especially. And they've always had, I mean, you know, high interest and this is a long part of their program with with Hong Kong. But the situation in the United States where, uh, you know, it's hard to keep our eye on the ball of other things right now with coronavirus with the U.S. elections, uh, the sort of confluence of events in the United States. Uh, and, uh, you know, but, you know, we are seeing action on it. The administration is paying attention to it. Congress and the White House are paying attention to it. Big Chinese tension, I think, is going to be part of this campaign season, as we've talked about before. Uh, but where is this leading now, and 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 what do we think the economic uh, implications are going to be, John? Yeah, thanks, Tony. Uh, where this is uh, where this is headed today on a very short term basis is a White House press conference on the uh, on the response to the situation in Hong Kong. This is uh, this is a press conference that was announced yesterday uh, at toward the end of the trading day in the U.S. and uh, and when that crossed the uh, when that crossed the headlines. The markets uh, slipped from highs uh, of uh, over one percent on the S and P five hundred into into slightly negative territory, uh, showing the extent to which uh, investors are focused on this. President Trump had pledged earlier in the week that he was going to announce the White House's response to the Chinese clampdown on Hong Kong this week, and uh, traders had you know traders had bandied about what what might be uh, what might be on the table. Uh, some of we got some additional clarity on what might be coming on Wednesday when Secretary of State Pompeo uh, declined to certify uh, that that Hong Kong was autonomous, meaningfully autonomous from China. Uh, what what that the import of that was it, it triggers potential retaliation from the U.S. under the Hong Kong Human Rights and Democracy Act which was signed into law last year, sort of begrudgingly by President Trump, who actually, right. while he was signing it at the time, sort of, uh, as an aside, sort of mentioned that this might, you know, uh, this, this, this might be a complicating factor down the road. Uh, President Trump has uh, not made, you know, very specific statements on, uh, on, what, his, on what his preferred retaliatory response is. Uh, we've certainly heard the, the hawks in the administration, Secretary of State Pompeo, uh, being being chief among them, uh, sort of leading the charge here. But uh, President Trump has sort of kept his own counsel on this. There are reports uh, that this, so just to roll the tape back, the Hong Kong Human Rights and Democracy Act 
if the State Department doesn't certify Hong Kong as autonomous from China, then that gives the executive the power to review Hong Kong's special status, special uh, uh, mm-hmm. trading status. And, uh, and that, the, the preferential uh, trading status that Hong Kong enjoys relative to mainland China. And uh, so again, that is discretion of the, of the executive. And the question today is the extent to which President Trump is going to, is going to exercise uh, that discretion to, uh, to do a sweeping withdrawal of that kind of preferential treatment for Hong Kong or a rather relatively more targeted one. Uh, reports are indicating that it might be more relative, relatively more targeted uh, with, you know, focusing on specific U.S. exports from Hong Kong, pulling away some of their preferential tariff treatments, and including some, you know, along, as, as kind of a sidecar to that, uh, withdrawing or reviewing some of the visas uh, for Chinese students and researchers mm-hmm. that have specifically <laughs> military ch- ties with the Chinese military. Uh, this is, you know, this is an example of what we've seen is, you know, the Trump administration obviously taking a hard line on China. And as you said, Tony, turning this into a, uh, into a campaign issue uh, for the fall. Uh, But at the same time, trying to dance along that fine line uh, between tough on China and drawing a, uh, you know, a meaningful retaliatory response from Beijing blowback from Beijing could be very serious and self-defeating for, for the president in his reelection campaign. He's banking on an economic recovery and uh, and meaningful Chinese retaliation could certainly uh, yeah and there's and there's there's just also lots of complexity there too I mean that's one of them right uh, but but also you know if you're going to do things um, to Hong Kong even in a limited way you know remember we we're we're trying to support Hong Kong right the whole concern here is that uh, you know Chinese China mainland China is mistreating Hong Kong. Uh, so if you take these actions that could diminish the, uh, the, the asset of, of Hong Kong, you're actually hurting the Hong Kong people. And, uh, and so this just makes it very complicated. Now, if you've determined that they're not autonomous anymore, uh, then uh, you are, you are, um, you are uh, conceding that uh, Hong Kong is fully part of China, which it, you know, the Chinese, of course, say, yes, it is, and it always has been. Uh, but there's this contract with uh, the UK and the international community that says, not for an, not for a couple more decades is it fully part of uh, of, of mainland China. So uh, so there's a lot of complexity there on how on how you deal with it. The other um, you know the other piece of it is though we talk, I mean, we talked about the, uh, the, the, there's the economics of it. There's a commercial relationship with Chinese firms that are operating in China. A lot of Western firms that that use. Hong Kong as a hub, you can hurt them. And to your point, um, John, you know, if you, uh, if you, you know, you, you damage their ability to do business in Asia uh, that way, then, um, you know, they're, they're not as successful and, you know, foreign non-American firms uh, will be able and will have that advantage and capture market share and all those, uh, all those kinds of things. So there's that. There's also uh, just the fact that, you know, if you're doing it for political reasons, uh, the politics on this are really tough. I mean, uh, you know, you can never do enough to satisfy China hawks, right? And if you're in an election with uh, with uh, Joe Biden and it's a race to see who's the toughest on China, um, you're in a uh, you're you're not in an advantageous situation because the other person can always say you went limp, you didn't do enough, you took the you took it easy on him, and you have all these love notes between uh, Trump and Xi. 
to, you know, <laughs> right. to back up your uh, you know, to back up your assertion. Well, that's certainly an issue, and you know, and obviously the Biden campaign is going to try to do that, outflank uh, President Trump. But what the, what we've seen from the Democrats repeatedly on the China trade issue is not so much that they're they push back against the overall direction. Of, of the policy countering China on certain issues or making being tough on China. It's uh, they quibble with the, the methodology. You're doing it the wrong way. And that's what we heard Joe Biden say right. uh, earlier this week in his interviews. He's talking about when he talks about what he would do differently, it's marshalling an international response. And that's just not the way that the Trump administration is going to work. Uh, no. But certainly, you know, what we what we're seeing today is is just one front in a in a multi front campaign. You know, we talked last week about that bill that passed the Senate uh, with that has uh, more targeted uh, sanctions against individuals and entities, Chinese individuals and entities that participate in the suppression of Hong Kong. Uh, so that would, you know, maybe uh, ameliorate some of the concerns about punishing Hong Kong for uh, for uh, being being cracked down upon, in effect. Um, but, uh, you know, we're also seeing the uh, the the uh, the bill that passed the House this week on, uh, on sanctions for entities involved in the suppression of Muslim minorities in Western China, that's going to the president's desk. He hasn't said specifically whether he would sign it, but reports are indicating that he will. Uh, and, you know, so much of this is, the reality is the, the difference is, you know, signing a bill and then enforcing it. And we're seeing this today with the Hong Kong Act. I mean, he has power to go, you know, to an extent against Hong Kong that would probably draw us a significant reaction and have a major market impact. But we're, we're guessing that he's probably going to try to come short of that and make a statement without, without uh, getting a blowback from, from markets and, and on the economic sphere. Yeah, how that, much that, do you think? Go um, ahead, John. Or go ahead, Brendan. How much do you think the, a bipartisan Congress who can pass bills every day if they want to and, and you know and and kind of force trump into uh doing uh being more hawkers than he may want to is that a big risk going forward it is like if you've seen the votes on these on the, on the china bills every china bill that comes is i don't know it's it's you know 95 percent yeah bipartisan some in some cases 100 percent bipartisan uh the, the, you know you you cannot um this has always been the risk of uh, you know, uh, allowing uh, the legislature, <laughs> Congress to drive <laughs> China policy because yeah. China is unpopular uh, for some very legitimate reasons, for some misunderstood and illegitimate reasons too, but for some very legitimate reasons, China is unpopular. And uh, politically, uh, the place to be is uh, uh, anti-China, to be attacking China. That there is no, con there is no, American constituency for defending China at all. It doesn't exist, uh, except for firms that need to do business in China. Yeah. And, and they're not even, uh, you know, they have concerns about China too, but, the, but, they, but you cannot be a, a globally active firm and be profitable and successful uh, if you do not have uh, operations in China. It's the biggest or the second biggest uh, economy in the world. And you know, of, the, of the three major economies, it's China, Europe, and the United States. Uh, you, can't, uh, you can't ignore China and be a globally success successful and profitable uh, firm. So that makes it really hard, but there's, no, but there's no popular constituency for China. So anything you put out there 
you know, delisting, sanctions, Hong Kong uh, protection, you name it. If it's going to be anti-China, it's going to get uh, near unanimous. And so you look to the White House administration for, you know, sort of clear-eyed leadership on some of this stuff. But you have, you know, the president, which has been, you know, pretty anti-China. You have, uh, you know, Pompeo, who's a strong China hawk. You have the guys at the um, uh, National Security Council yes. are, uh, are China hawks. You have Peter Navarro, who's a China hawk. Uh, you know, like the, it is, it is a, an administration of, of, you know, of China hawks over there. The president, I think you're right uh, that he is, you know, he's probably going to step back from doing big dramatic things that would cause uh, big economic breaches. I think it's in his, you know, it's not, it, you know, that's part of the political calculus here that makes it really tough to do something to China and not shoot yourself in the foot. Um, but I do think that with, it, with increasing bills and increasing popular activity. And if we're looking at Hong Kong protests, and if the Chinese do hard crackdowns on, uh, on Hong Kong protesters, and it lo starts looking ugly again, um, then it makes it very, very difficult for him. And, and Congress is going to still be there to keep that pressure on. And how much do you think the president's decision making on China and how hawkish or, or you know, back away is based on trying to keep the, the stock market up? But, you know, I was going to ask you guys about about the market. I mean, I, look, he, I, we, we know he uses the market as a, as a measuring stick. Uh, yeah. You know, whenever it's up, you can expect a tweet from him saying it's up. He doesn't seem to tweet when it's down, uh, but he does tweet whenever it's, whenever yeah. it's up. Somebody, somebody showed, uh, you know, the third Trump tweet uh, the other day. I saw, you know, the, I saw somebody showing the, th the third Trump tweet celebrating uh, the Dow crossing 25,000. Yeah. You know, it's crossed 25,000 on the upside three times in his yeah. administration. He has celebrated it on the upside three times. He's never, never noted it on the downside. Yeah. But so, yeah, so we know he uses it as a, as a measuring stick. But I was going to ask you guys, you know, like when we were going through uh, the, you know, negotiations on, on the trade war and the, and the phase one trade deal, um, you know, we, we, you can see on any given day, you know, if you were either, you know, if you were, it was either a China positive day or a China negative day. If it was a China positive day, market was up. China negative day, market was down. You could see just very high sensitivity to do news on uh, on China. And John, you started, you know, when we talked about China, said like, you know, it kind of brought the market to a screeching halt yesterday when yeah. there was any news of this press conference on China. And it did, you know, it sold, it sold off and gave back, you know, gains and, um, and was down. It, the futures are down, I don't know, 130 right now. It doesn't seem like anyone's expecting. I think like the sort of our view that it will be loud, but not um, impactful seems to be the market consensus right now. And do we think that we've broken that, the market has broken that link a, a, a little bit? I think it, it for this is the first week it came on the radar that, that China is back to being a risk, especially now. I mean, we're not back to all time highs, but we're basically where we are at the start of the, the year. And for, for much of the reason that we, the market came back based on the tech sector, you know, uh, a lot of innovation, the payments were going to accelerate. Zoom was a stock we didn't even know existed. Now it's, you know, the biggest stock in the world. Uh, but the, 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 the last week or two, as the economy reopened and we have optimism on um, vaccines, maybe by the end of this year, the, the, the rest of the growth economy has, has started to pick up banks and, and whatnot. So that's been what's driving the market. If we have a situation where we get in a deeper tit-for-tat um, war with China, 
that, that affects that, that recovery, that's not good for the market. Um, so, so we're in this point where the, it's not that the market has to crash 50%, but we've priced in a lot of very good things. Yeah, yeah. We're reopening the economy. In the next two weeks, we're going to get a lot of data to see whether that was a good idea and whether uh, you know, infection rates are going to be go up in places like Texas and Georgia and Florida. So that's a risk to the market. And then China's a new risk to the market. So I think these next two weeks are really, really important for um, for which way the, the, the market goes down, whether so you're looking for 10% or up or 10% yeah. down. I do. You're, look, you're, I mean, your point on, uh, you know, it, 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 things have been, you know, the, uh, the, the, the grinding halt to the economony was so, you know, so bad that, you know, uh, we say, well, everything was shut down. It's like, yeah, we, I mean, your point was great. It's like, actually not everything. And there are some that were, you know, there were clear winners out there and, and, um, you know, we, and the, the Amazon, Walmart, Walmart, Target stories have been pretty well told. Zoom is a good, you know, well told story. There are a lot of others out there. I mean, uh, William Sonoma reported today and, and, uh, and beat expectations pretty well. And every one of their stores was shut down. Every single yeah. William yeah. Sonoma store was shut down and they just crushed it on, uh, on internet sales. And so there were, so there actually are winners and losers here. And uh, not just winners. I, like I don't know what Sur la Table uh, did. Did they do as well as William Sonoma? And this is like one of those things that shake out in a recession, right? Yeah. Like the better companies do better. Well, I don't know. Like again, maybe Sur la Table is doing really well too. But you know what I mean? Like you have no. like, you get winners and losers. Yeah. Then you have the inflation, like right, the lift from the Fed. Yep. Three trillion. <laughs> Which right? Trillions basically- of dollars. That's so the, the stock market rebounded about $3 trillion from the low to the high, which is basically what the, the Fed injected. So yep. I know a lot of, uh, you know, economists say that QE doesn't drive stock prices up, but the, the, the two charts kind of correlate pretty well. <laughs> they, see, they seem to rhyme with each other. <laughs> yeah. yeah, what uh, economists, uh, yeah, economists take on quantitative easing is a whole lot different than uh, Wall Street's take. If you ask yeah. Wall Street, what does quantitative easing do? This it's rocket fuel for stocks or right. for risk asset prices. That's what it says on the box. That's what Ben Bernanke <laughs> right. said. That's what Chairman Bernanke said on his way out. They said, "How did QE work?" He said, "It didn't work except through the uh, asset inflation channel, which was the portfolio, uh, basically the wealth effect. Uh, it made Americans feel richer uh, to the extent that they're invested in the stock market, it made them feel better about stuff, and that's that's how QE works. It lifts asset prices." And he said all the other stuff, you know, was kind of marginal compared to that. Yeah. Um, he may not, and, that doesn't also, mean he's right, but he, yeah. <laughs> that's what he said. But, but we also do QE when rates are hugely low. So you get to that point where there's just nothing else to buy if you have to have some sort of return. So I think that plays a, a role in it too. Well, there is something between, uh, there, there is something about the stock market and the economy. And I want to, let's come back and talk about that. I'm going to talk about that and how we think they're looking at reopening. You're listening to the HBS Macrocast. Markets Policy Partners provides sophisticated financial market analysis that is independent, accessible, and actionable for a broad audience. Learn more at marketspolicy.com. All right, back, you know, Brendan, what's this link between the market and, uh, and the economy? So for the election, I, I feel like the stock market could play a, a completely different role than it usually does. While we always say the stock market isn't the, the main street, the economy, the two are usually fairly in lockstep, but mm-hmm. we know that this, this 
recovery is going to take a while. It was unprecedented. We had to shut down the whole world and it's going to take a while. And also the virus is still out there. So things are going to be uncertain. So usually when the stock market's high, unemployment's relatively low or going down and people feel better about themselves. That's not necessarily the case right now. So if Trump is going to run on the stock market, really the only people benefiting from the stock market right now are wealthy people that are invested in it, where we still have 25% unemployment. So I, I'm, I don't know the answer, but the, the, the stock market could become a negative for Trump, where he's just uh, uh, viewed as protecting the rich while the rest of uh, middle America is still on their back. Well, on, on that point, Brendan, um, you know, like we, like we, we were, uh, you know, we were looking at, uh, you know, sort of like household balance sheets on some of the stuff, just trying to figure out like where, you know, where we are with reopening. We have a bunch of states who are moving from, they're using these color codes of, you know, like yellow to red, red to green, and some are moving from yellow to green. So they're opening, get, starting to increase economic activity. And, and, um, and, and there's that, you know, my good friend, uh, Josh Holmes has a, uh, has an op-ed in, the Wall Street Journal today talking about, you know, what will happen politically when the money runs out, you know, now, I don't think the money's going to run out. Uh, but there's also, you know, a phenomenon that we've actually never ever seen before in a recession where, um, you know, we actually have balance sheets for a, a whole lot of people. I don't want to say everybody because there's some people in pretty bad shape and some businesses uh, and small business owners who are in, are in pretty bad shape, big business owners too. But for a very large portion of the economy, their balance sheets are in pretty good shape. And Brian Moynihan was on CNBC uh, yesterday talking about, uh, you know, what they see in their customer accounts with, you know, people who generally have, you know, less than $5,000 of uh, savings in their accounts. Um, you know, those, balance, uh, those balances are 30 to 40% higher today than they were in March, which is amazing. You've never seen anything like that before in a recession. Usually you have, you know, income impaired, savings impaired, um, you know, costs going up. But because people have not been able to buy anything, even in the cases where so many of them lost income, you know, unemployment insurance was there with a $600 a week bonus. Um, you know, if you were uh, concerned about your ability to pay your rent, you've had rent forbearance. If you're concerned about your ability to pay your mortgage, you've had mortgage forbearance. So coming out of this period, you know, and reemerging into a reopening economy in however way that happens, um, you know, there are going to be like demand will be hurt by people's concern over being around other people. Yep. Demand will be, uh, or I guess it's really a supply thing, like the, the space for people to come in and access things like restaurants and shops uh, is going to be, you know, they're going to have rules to follow, limiting, uh, you know, choking the number of people that can actually uh, go do things. Still not going to be able to do really big events with, uh, with lots of people, but people are going to have money to, to spend on things. And uh, if they have it, you can, this is America still, they're probably going to go out and spend it. Yeah. I mean, so we got the personal income and spending. So spending was down 14% and uh, income was up 10.5%. It's, it's a very simple story. You weren't allowed to go outside, so you didn't spend that much. And uh, government transfers went up 90%. So that, that's the story. So I think you're right that when we open... There, I mean, you, you saw it in China, too. Uh, mm. People rushed to, you know, Prada to buy things, <laughs> and they were excited. 
it, it, the, the question is just how long it takes for people to feel safe to, to, to get to that point. I think it's, it's absolutely right that people are excited to get out. And, uh, and certainly, you know, from the virologist perspective, they're trying to tamp down people's enthusiasm and, uh, and, and uh, interest in getting back to human contact a little bit and just uh, trying to reinforce the fact that they've still got to keep, you know, keep, keep safe and, and, uh, and that sort of stuff. But human nature is human nature. I, I mean, just casting an eye forward and thinking about, you know, where we are right now, the, it's hard to think of a time, it certainly uh, maybe, maybe 2008, 2009 qualifies where it's more uncertain looking into the future. Mm -hmm. Obviously, you know, cast your mind ahead to December 2020, uh, not too long from now. And we could, you know, we could all be, we could have all gotten our, you know, a Band-Aid on the arm with our vaccine jab, uh, you know, out, out, uh, out, at the, out at the restaurants and bars and looking forward to a great uh, holiday shopping season with a rebounding economy and, you know, insert your favorite presidential candidate just one re-election <laughs> or election or you know whichever yeah. whichever you prefer you could have a very bright sunny uh, uh sunny outlook on life uh and you know the the flip side of the coin is also certainly uh you know perhaps equally possible that we would be you know december 2020 we're hunkered down under a second wave of lockdowns uh with the pandemic back we're in you know trading broadsides of sanctions and tariffs with china uh, you know, the U.S. economy is stumbling along recessionary or your worse kind of pace. And, uh, you know, and and and, you know, and for individuals, you know, insert your insert your, you know, least favorite presidential candidate was won, yeah. <laughs> you know, a contested yeah. election. I yeah, mean, there's I think... a really dark, you know, uh, the, the, the tales have gotten so fat and, and it, the dispersion between these two very possible scenarios is so wide and we just see you know the stock market appears convinced of the rosy one and the treasury market appears convinced of the of the darker one and right. uh, it's a real split decision and this is a caveat caveats included that there is a lot of price distortion based on uh central bank uh, yeah. intervention in markets but we still think that there's there's signal uh in these in these very divergent uh price actions basically the both the treasury market and the equity market they both probably can't be right. Yeah, but Tony, I think you're, you're, we should go back to your point that a big reason why we're at the point where we are today is because the monstrous fiscal response. Yep. We, had a, we had a decent res response in, in 08 and 09, but nothing compared to this. But, yep. but the battle's not over. We still need more fiscal response to get us from here, you know, tomorrow's June 1st to November, where maybe we could be at a vaccine point. So yesterday, the New Jersey governor said that they're going to have to lay off half of the, the workforce, 200,000 yeah. people. They have a $10.1 billion hole. So in three months, they had a $10 billion hole. You know, you extrapolate that forward, they're, you know, in three months from now, they'll have a 15 to $20 billion hole. So, you know, Jersey is a pretty decent sized uh, 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 state. But, you know, if, if Jersey has a $10 billion hole, California probably has a 25 and Florida has a 10. So you're talking about, you know, probably a trillion dollar hole in, in state and local governments that needs to be filled if you don't want to have another massive wave of layoffs. Yeah, and to it me, seems I think... like, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, go ahead, Brendan. No, I'm just saying on the Hill, it seems like they're coming to that realization, but it's yeah. not today. You know, it's a month from now. Yeah, I think that's right. I think uh, to me, the, like those are those are the big unknowns, right? It's like, does that, you know, uh, just how uh, how damaged are uh, state municipalities? We know it's 
big. I think Michigan reported, um, you know, uh, that they're going to have to do some massive layoffs uh, as well. And um, and there are uh, and there are and then there's this to me the great unknown, which you know John talked about is you know this the potential for a second wave and sort of every yeah. you know epidemiologist out there you talk about such as says like it's like there will be a second wave like don't you know don't um, you know don't think it's not coming and the question is how severe it will be and how and prepared when, we when exact, are for it yeah. yeah and when exactly the timing is and and I will tell you like if look. If we've got, uh, you know, consumers who we've just said, like, you know, they're going to have money to spend, there's going to be this uh, euphoria over uh, over reopening a bit and getting back to something like normal. Some sports are going to come back in some ways. And, you know, and the question is, like, does the summer look like a false dawn? Yes. And then we have a return. And I think, like, where we, I think Americans, you know, we've seen some of the protests and we know there's been some anger over the closing and is it too much and did we all do this because of new york and like there's a little bit of resentment out there but by and large most americans have been very understanding complying with the rules trying to do the right thing in order to keep people safe then if we go and reopen and people start to feel something like normal and there is a return of the virus in the fall I think uh, I think the I think that that will become anger, not and and a lot more resentment over it returning and who's to blame for it, and it'll be in the heat of an election campaign. And by then, uh, look, I, like I think a phase four spending bill is going to come. You know, hopefully we'll you know have the states in in better uh, in a better uh, situation. But in the same way with households, same way with businesses, state and city governments are going to be exactly in the same place. Is that whatever contribution there is whatever help there is that's coming it, it'll, it will be good it just won't be good enough to present some reduction in economic activity from what yeah. we had before that's a fact like yeah. i don't know if the number it's i don't know if it's going to be 10 percent below or 20 percent below but it's going to be less than what it was we're never going to fill that hole more than uh, uh than what was needed or what would otherwise have happened if we didn't have this crisis so you know, so look, the fall could be different. Then we're gonna ca- we'll caveat this from now until then. But I'm just saying, like, you know, we're gonna have, you know, second, we're gonna say second wave like a hundred times between now and then. But that to me, that is the the great the great great big unknown. Why don't we take a why don't we take a quick break? Come back, uh, talk a little bit about what's happening uh, in the EU, and then head off into the weekend. Uh, you're listening to the Macrocast. On the first Friday of every month, HBS analyzes the latest jobs and labor market data in a digestible format. Sign up for our reports at HamiltonPlaceStrategies.com or on Twitter at HPS Insight. All right, back on the macrocast. Um, you know, some interesting things happening in uh, Europe right now. I mean, like, I, I still can't help feeling, John, that uh, that they're a little bit slow to it. And that, that that's part of the things, part of the way Europe works. It's you know, they need the consensus of all their members and you have the dynamics of the French and the Germans here. The French and the Germans are together, uh, at least. But, uh, you know, how, how is this fiscal response is it's interesting and it's uh, and, and hopefully it'll have an impact to, to get them uh, get them back going again. Market sure, sure seems to like it, I think. Right. Yeah, absolutely. This is, uh, as, as you say, it, it's, it's pretty glacial. But uh, as we mentioned last time, the Franco-German plan that was initially floated was 500 billion euros. That's not huge in the context of these massive pandemic relief stimulus bills we've seen here and, and in other places. But it featured a very interesting facet, which was increased fiscal federalism. It was basically raising money for this, uh, for this 
uh, pandemic relief fund that was going to be part of the budget with the typical contributions uh, of all the 27 members, but the spending was going to be going to the places where it's needed most. That's the Southern Europe. And, uh, and when they unveiled the plan at the uh, European summit on Wednesday, it was even bigger. It was, uh, it was based on the Franco-German plan, but it was 750 billion. And it, de it delineated some of the, uh, you know, much larger sized uh, outlays to places like Spain and Italy that really needed it the most. Uh, that's really important. And it's a, it's a really, it's a binding agent for the, for the Euro, for the Eurozone. And we've seen it in the Europe. The Euro is at really pivotal levels hanging on by its fingernails, uh, multi-year lows, and it's bounced up. It's up nearly 3% versus the dollar over the past two weeks. That's really important. And we've seen, you know, uh, Italian yields on Italian debt uh, narrow compared to their German bond counterparts by like 52 basis points. It's a mm. meaningful move. And so it's not a done deal. The frugal four, <laughs> as they, you know, there are, there are others, but, you know, Austria, Denmark, Sweden, and the Netherlands have already begun. Tut, tut, tut. You know, <laughs> this is yeah. unacceptable, but this is, it, it's going to, you know, it's, it, they're probably going to take some muscle, something. but it will, pro yeah, but it'll yeah. probably, it'll probably happen in some, but form. it's interesting because usually when you print more debt, your, your currency weakens, but when the market was pricing in the breakup of the EU, printing debt is something that's going to hold it together. So thus it's positive. It's, yeah. it's really incredible. That yeah, it was a strong, strong move in the Euro. Yeah. Big. Yeah. yeah big. Fascinating. Uh, yeah, so uh, we talked about some of the data, uh, some of the data this week. What, what uh, anything? Other, I mean, we've got you know another you know couple, another couple million, two million uh, initial filers for um, uh, initial initial weekly uh, claims data yesterday. Another two million people filing for unemployment insurance. Yep. Uh, and probably the most interesting in that was the continuing claims actually decreased by a couple uh, million. Where, I mean, it could be, it, part of it is definitely a, a counting issue with Florida and California. California doesn't have two week and Florida is having a hard time oh, right. with their unemployment. But I, I definitely think part of it was indication of the reopening of the economy. And some people actually are going back to work. So those will be very interesting to follow on a week to week basis. Uh, not just the initial claims, but also the continuing claims uh, telling a tale of, of two stories. Uh, this week or next week, we'll find uh, out the official VLS uh, uh, unemployment and uh, uh, non-farm payroll for, uh, for May. So we lost 20.5 million jobs last year and we got up to 14.7% on the unemployment rate. Uh, looks like expectations are for another 8 million jobs lost and the unemployment gone up to 19.5%. So that's the, that's the big event for next week. Uh, we also have a ECB, a Bank of Canada, and the Royal Bank of Australia um, meeting. So, but so many of the the central banks have already shot the shot the cannons. So yeah, I think yeah, this yeah. is more of a you know keeping things as they are and maybe tweaking things here and there. Yeah, well, we'll definitely be interested to see where the rate goes um, on uh, on U.S. payrolls. Um, so you know, it's, I, I, I mean, 19.5 is expectations. I'll be surprised. I'll be surprised actually if it isn't over 20%. I think just like, I mean, 40 million filers is, is uh, I think so too. Cause I think huge. you probably yeah. still get large revisions to the previous two months. Right. Will kind of drive it up. So I would expect it to be over 20%. Yeah, I think that's right. Well, we'll see. It'll be, a, it'll be a big jobs day. Um, in the meantime, we'll have, we have the Twitter wars um, yeah. <laughs> to, uh, to, to pay attention to uh, Trump signing an executive order yesterday, uh, doing something 
you know, to yeah. Well, try some to of the commentary I've heard is I, the ultimate irony of this whole thing is he might have actually tied his own hands the most with his own ruling. If it were, if if it had the the the, the impact of actually effectuating anything, yes, it exactly. Hasn't, I mean, they're they're governed by stat, you know, they're governed by statute, and you can't change it by executive order. But yeah, the logical conclusion uh, for someone who. Uh, you know, uh, shares and uh, initiates a lot of things on Twitter that are untrue uh, to, you know, to say that, uh, you know, Twitter would be liable if it uh, allows people to post things are untrue. You know, it seems to be shooting yourself in the foot. So, um, uh, yeah, so, and, and which- uh, That's coming you know, from a communications it, expert. That's a yeah. communications 101. <laughs> So we'll see. We'll see how that plays out. Uh, uh, you know, one one of the great things on things like this is that um, in the world of social media that we're in right now, is that we get to see all this happening, you know, live and in person. So yep. we'll, we'll 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 get to follow along on Twitter. Uh, but in the meantime, thanks, guys. Uh, great show. Good stuff to talk about. We'll be back for Jobs Day uh, next Friday. Matt McDonald will be with us, uh, and uh, uh, lots more to talk about. Have a great weekend and stay safe. Thank you for listening to the HPS Macrocast. Please remember to subscribe, rate, and share. Find more from Hamilton Place Strategies at hamiltonplacestrategies.com and follow Tony Fratto on Twitter at Tony Fratto. Learn more about John Fagan, Brendan Walsh, and the work they do at Markets Policy Partners by visiting marketspolicy.com.